This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Walking into the Y week? Walking into the bye week. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it is the Y week. Walking into the why week. The the why are we bothering with the rest of the season week? Welcome to this week's Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is the Womp Womp Wednesday where you're walking into the bye week and wondering why because that's a lot of things to say and not screw it up. Uh, the 49ers almost followed the underdog script to victory, but they couldn't capitalize. And with me this week, unveiling his execution of the Sicilian defense, <laughs> it's David Newman. Um, so there's a there's a master class um, on playing chess. And I'm like, now after watching this show, I'm like, I'm ready to dive in. Okay, so the show we're talking about is The Queen's Gambit. And if you have not watched this show, it's on Netflix. Go and do it now. Stop listening to this podcast. It's, it's, you know how it ends. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't end well. Uh, you can come back to this. We will be here, I promise. Uh, but go watch this show. It is amazing. One of the best shows I've seen this year. And, and I told David about it. We got to actually see each other this weekend. Got to go over to David's house, did a Q&A in person for the Patreon subscribers. It was good. It was a good weekend. Our, our daughters had matching about to throw up onesies. It was cute. Excellent. Uh, but there's a master class for, for this and they'd go over the Sicilian defense. Yeah. I, oh, I don't know. I haven't watched any of it yet, um, but I, I very much plan on on doing it. Yeah, I forget. It's um, Gary Kasparov, I think. Um, yeah, he sounds Russian. Yeah, yeah, one, yeah exactly. One of the, the Russian uh, grandmaster, whatever. Yeah, he's got a master class in there and like, cause I immediately like checked it out after Cause my, uh, my wife is like, you know, uh, she hasn't played it a lot recently, but once upon a time was really kind of into chess. And so I think she's like always wanted me to kind of get into it a little bit more and play. And so I'm like, all right, I think maybe I'm ready. I once taught nine year olds how to play chess and, or rather I was once part of a group of nine year olds and we were taught how to play chess. That's more accurately what happened. Uh, I, I used to run an after-school program in Campbell. And we, yeah, I remember they came in. And, and the only thing I remember from this, uh, other than absolutely getting dunked on by a nine-year-old or two, was uh, nights on the rim is dim. Like, you should never put your nights on the edge of the board. It's a bad idea. That's the nights only thing on I remember. Nights on the rim is dim. Welcome to my TED Talk. Nice. 
But yes, I, I too have been watching uh, old chess matches on YouTube. Not as exciting as the Netflix show, let me tell you. But the, Queen, the Queen's Gambit, it's an amazing show. You should go really watch good. it. But we're here to talk about something that did not go as well as a wonderful television show. And that was the, the game against the New Orleans Saints. The, the Niners could not recapture the magic that they found last year. And, and Eek went out in the Superdome. And, and really, when you think about the Niners game at the beginning, in the first quarter, it looked really good. They were, they were following what looked like the underdog's game plan. What is the underdog's game plan, David? Because it's a game plan, I think, that Niners fans should get really familiar with over the last couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, we've already... So, I mean, yeah, if you've listened to our Patreon pregame chats, uh, you know, at any point this year, I feel like we we've gotten a version of this question, right? Like how do the 49ers, like if the 49ers end up winning today when we don't expect them to against a team that clearly looks like a better team, given the state of the 49ers right now, um, what, what does that win look like? And, and we've had kind of the same answer each time. And it is really this underdog game plan, right? Which I, I think there are a few kind of basic tenets that are, are always going to be consistent here. And it's one, you're trying to shorten the game. And, and this is exactly what we saw from them in the first quarter, right? You're trying to, um, you're going to see a lot more running plays. You're going to see them really kind of taking their time between plays, milking that play clock, right? They want to shorten the game, decrease the number of overall plays in the game, because when you do that, it increases the variance. Meaning, um, you know, I, I think if you, you think of it like a, a comparing a football season, right, to a baseball season. In a football season, only 16 games, a lot of shit can happen. You know, the best teams don't always end up, you know, winning and don't always end up, you know, in the postseason or whatever because of random bounces, because of that variance that happens from the shorter season. Where, you know, if you think about baseball, 162 games, like, yeah, in small stretches of that weird shit can happen. But usually over 162 games, right, those best teams are going to come to the top and really show um, that they they are the best teams in the league. And so that's kind of what this is like a single game version of that idea, right? You're trying to increase the variance, increase the randomness and, and hope that you can get a few bounces to go your way. Yeah, when you decrease the number of events, you increase the value of any single event. And, and so when you have a uh, turnover, a muffed punt, for example, that then becomes magnified if you're able to succeed and capitalize off of that turnover. And so you, you increase the, the thing that you can do when you succeed and get a turnover, especially if you can steal a possession. That's also super helpful. And, and ultimately, you take advantage of high leverage situations like fourth downs, trick plays, fake punts. That is the underdog script. You shorten the game. You run the ball a lot. That de-risks the quarterback position. Right, you're no longer shining a light on that quarterback. You increase the variance so that if anything does go your way, fumble luck, turnover, muff punt, whatever, you're able to capitalize on that and you know basically hold on long enough to win the game. And, and then you try to take advantage of high leverage situations. That is the underdog game plan. The Niners were there. They were wow. there. They, they ran the ball effectively, had an opening drive score. The opening drive was seven minutes and 17 seconds long. And then you get a, a quick stop Right, so you all of a sudden are in a position to go up two scores. You get a muffed punt. You get a forced fumble with with Tarveris Moore. I mean, this was <laughs> the they could have won this game. You even had receivers bailing out Nick Mullins. I mean, Jordan yeah. Reed is picking up footballs off of his Jordans, and <laughs> and you've got uh, Ayuk making some great great catches as well. And I mean, 
overall, you think about the game and you compare it to the Bucks, who the Bucks are one of the best teams in football, I think, especially in the NFC. But it took the Niners less than half a quarter to double the offensive output that Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers managed against the Saints over the course of an entire game in Week 9. They okay. were on it. And yet, it all, it all kind of fell apart. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is like the tough part, right, is uh, can you hang on to it long enough um, to kind of outlast them, right? And, and so I think we saw the first quarter was just, uh, a, it was a masterclass on how to execute this game plan, right? Like the, the Saints had the ball for basically a little over a minute in the first quarter. Like it was it was ridiculous, right? And and yeah, exactly, you had, and then even right after that, right? So yes, you have the long first drive that, that ends up in a touchdown. That's a great start. You get the three and out, but then you go three and out yourself, right? And then the muffed punt happens and you get that second opportunity uh, to, to kind of get, you know, a, an extra possession and get more points on the board. You end up with a field goal after that, also milking a ton of time off the clock in the process. So everything's going well. And then eventually, you know, you kind of get out of that. They start to catch up a little bit. They start to get, you know, a little bit going offensively. And and then you kind of have to break away from that game plan. And you see the Saints, you know, kind of superior talent level and skill level really start to take over and, and bring them back in the game. One of the things the Niners didn't do was take appropriate advantage of high leverage situations. And that came down to some fourth down calls. And and you've got really a blown block by McKivitz on a fourth down play that ended up leading to the running back getting blown up in the backfield. And it was an inside zone run because everyone knew it was going to be an inside run. You had uh, you've got the the inside trap to juice, which is another favorite of the Niners uh, or just an inside run to juice. And, and then you've got basically some manner of inside run. And so you knew when it was fourth and short, it was likely going to be some manner of inside run. And they could have that, that, that drive, if extended, could have resulted in the Niners going into the half with a lead. Instead, they fail on that fourth down. They end up giving the ball back. And then the Saints ends up scoring. And they do the, they, they do the old Madden double dip, where they then score opening uh, in the second half as well. Or, or really, I don't know if it was the first drive, but they ended up being the first team to score in the third quarter. So it was, uh, it was all around just, you know, they couldn't hold it together long enough. They really couldn't. And part of it was because the game plan against the 49ers at this point is pretty clear. Trent Williams said that, you know, they, they didn't really expect the saints to attack the edges of the Niners as hard as they did. And they hadn't really shown it on film, but at this point, I mean, Miami's done it. The Rams have tried it. New Orleans has done it. Like this is what teams are going to do. They're going to load up on the line. They're going to attack the edges. So you can't get outside. They're not worried about you going over the top or they're not worried about having to play a lot of zone against your receivers. They can probably man up and they're going to blitz often. Yeah. This shouldn't be a surprise, even if teams don't show it on film. And I think that was the biggest sign, right? That, that it was unlikely, even as good as that first quarter went. Um, that was the sign that showed that they probably weren't going to be able to stand it because they couldn't get anything going in the run game, right? Even on that great opening drive, like, they, they really didn't do any of it with the run game. Like there were a lot of run plays, but they weren't very successful. I mean, you, you, and then you end up with, uh, you know, a team that ran the ball 25 times for 49 yards on the game, right? Like they definitely, the saints had a game plan there to take that away. And so once you can no longer rely on that to help you eat away the clock and help sustain some of those, um, drives like they did, you know, early on, 
then everything falls back on Mullins. And and that, it, you know, if you've been listening, you know, that's not a good sign, right? Like it, it's just not going to work out well. And he had just some fucking horrendous throws in this game. Like, it was bad. Really bad. It was very bad. He had a couple interceptable balls that were not intercepted. He had a couple that were intercepted. It was, it was not, it was not good. It was not good for Mullins, but we even sacrificed the collarbone to the running game cause. We sacrificed the Jamichael hit. We had a human sacrifice of a collarbone in this game, and it still did not manage <laughs> to gain yards for the 49ers on offense. But one of the things that was pretty apparent in the game was the Niners were blitzing Gardner Johnson off the uh, corner. It was almost like they were trolling Sala and saying, ha, anything you can do, I can do better. Because uh, Sala loves those corner blitzes. And Gardner Johnson blitzed five times. Mullins didn't seem to have an answer. The Niners didn't seem to have an answer. And a lot of people that I that I, I got some questions on Twitter and, and a lot of people that I spoke to after the game were like, why didn't the Niners have an answer for that? Why didn't they just throw a slant behind the blitzer? Why didn't they just throw out into the blitz or do the things that you hear announcers talk about when when you hear about, you know, the, the defense is blitzing a corner? What do the Niners uh, what what is built into the Niners plays that help them account for these blitzes that should have been taken advantage of? That just didn't in this game. Yeah, I mean, you you pretty much are always going to have hot reads. Like, you know, they're, they're going to be there if you need to get the ball out quickly, right? If you don't have time to go through your typical progression, right? You have, this is my guy that I, I see an unblocked rusher coming right in my face. This is where I go with the football. And it really, I mean, should be stuff that is is kind of ingrained into the quarterback. Like this is stuff that that absolutely is getting drilled in practice, right? Like, where is my hot? You you always kind of have to be aware um of of what that is. And so I think like, yeah, part of it, you know, is is a, a good question. It falls back on Mullins to a degree, right? Like why isn't he finding these routes? And and this is something we've talked about, I think, with Mullins at several points now, where he just doesn't seem to process things very quickly. He kind of always seems to be a beat late. Um, you know, you, you see him even on on stuff that where we're not even really talking about pressure and, and not having to find your hot route or, or anything like that, just throwing the ball in rhythm to kind of where he's looking at first when he hits the top of his drop. A lot of times there's hesitation there, right? So I think there's just something with him where he's not processing things as quickly as he needs to. He's not finding the right guys at the right time. And it's just kind of, especially when you build in pressure to it, it really is panic mode for him a lot of time. Yeah, I think panic mode's right. And I think not trusting what he's seeing is right or or really not anticipating what he's seeing is right. Because I almost feel like that's the the progression of a quarterback to a certain degree where you've got to see it before you do it. And then eventually you kind of do it before you see it, knowing that you're going to be right. That's right. like the fully realized version of, of, a, of a really, really good quarterback is they're able to anticipate what's going to happen and they're right. Because you can be like Jameis Winston and anticipate that something is going to happen and be wrong and get the ball picked. Uh, but instead, <laughs> you're, you're going to be, you know, a good quarterback is going to be right. And, and you look, I think one play specifically early on was where you knew like, okay, Mullins is already double clutching this. This is not going to be good. It was the read route. We've talked about the read route on the Patreon as one of the base concepts for the Niners that they love. It's something they ran on the first drive of the Super Bowl. I mean, this is part of what the Niners love to run. And the read route, if you're not familiar, is just a route from the wide receiver where they're running directly at the safety. And they read what the safety does. If the safety opens up and runs with them, then they're going to sit that route down and turn around. 
if the safety stays flat-footed, then that wide receiver is going to continue to just blow right by them and, and, and get over the top of them. It requires communication and timing between the quarterback and the wide receiver. And Ayuk ran this route to perfection. He got the safety to open up, and so he sits the route down. But Mullins doesn't trust that what he sees is right. So he kind of goes to throw it and he pumps and then he stops and then he throws it again. And because of that hesitation, the ball's almost picked. Yeah, I mean, it really should have been. And and you can see him like he has this. It's like a little double clutch type. Move. Yeah. Like you see when he should be letting it go. But then he like it's like that extra beat, that extra step. And then it comes out. And, and this is like, yeah, this is something that consistently uh, it comes up. I mean, to really to bring it full circle, right? It's kind of like chess. It's about pattern recognition, right? You've seen those moves on the board so many times, right? You're talking about the the good quarterbacks, right? You've seen those same moves so many times that you just you know what to do next. Mullins is like me in chess right now. I don't know what those fucking patterns are. Like I, I have no idea what that is, and so he's just not seeing things. I mean, the safety. It's Malcolm Jenkins is the the guy that ends up um, dropping the interception on that play. Like he's not even in Mullins' vision. Like Mullins never even checks like that area of the field. Right? Mullen, uh, Jenkins is actually coming from the opposite side. Safety like does a fantastic job of recognizing that no one on his side is is really going out for a route because a lot of times when they're running this, you know, as we we talked about during scheme month, it's the read route and then a check down. Right? It it really is like a one man route downfield with that check uh check down built in and so you know you you have to be able to see the defenders in that that are going to potentially be in that area of the field and he just never sees them he just assumes um that that area is going to be vacated and then he's late and all of those things all of those mistakes kind of compound to a play that really should have been an easy interception yeah and, and you think about Getting to your hot read quickly, that's part of it. The other part is that oftentimes that blitzer, especially if they're coming off the edge, is left to the quarterback. The quarterback is supposed yep. to beat the blitzer by getting the ball out hot or getting the ball out to something in the route concept. And so, you know, why didn't the Niners have an answer? The fact is that Shanahan has answers to this built into the play. But you need someone to execute that play well in order to beat that blitz. And sometimes, you know, I don't think that the Niners had a ton of protection breakdowns like they had in, in other parts of uh, the season or they have at other times of the season. And, and oftentimes they just were sliding the protection away from the blitz. And, you know, the blitzer was just was not picked up by the quarterback and Mullins was not throwing hot. So, you know, it, it sucks. But ultimately, that's kind of where they're at. I think the other thing that happened maybe is the the pass block from McKinnon uh, didn't really it wasn't all that effective. But you know, I think McKinnon picked it up well enough that it wasn't going to be, it shouldn't have been a terrible kind of thing. Mullins stepped up into it. Also, he got hit in the face and then just fell over. That's also not good. Um, you know, you have to have enough balance to withstand a hand in the NFL. <laughs> so, you know, it just, it's, that's, that's where you're at right now, though. This is what happens when you're playing with a backup quarterback. You know, they're limited. They're limited for a reason. They can go in for a couple of plays and look good and they can do some things well. Obviously, he deserves to be a quarterback in the NFL, but... Overall, this, that's the limitation. This is why he's a backup. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's just um, something that they have to live with right now. And you have to know that it, it's likely some of these mistakes are going to occur. And, and when you can't protect them, right? This is why like that getting out to a lead and, and everything like that has been so important. That game script has been so important for the 49ers, you know, especially when you're dealing with these backup quarterbacks is because 
it, it allows you to protect and kind of hide that quarterback. And, and when you can't do that, things like this pop up all the time where they get exposed. And overall, it was a defense that played well enough to win. I mean, you think of this is like the polar opposite of the game last year, where last year was basically a shootout. This year, the defense played well. It's the the defense has really been the I don't know saving grace of this team. Maybe a little bit much, but you think about last year, everything the defense put on their back while the offense kind of found its footing and then got Emmanuel Sanders and it took off. And this year, we knew the defense was going to take a step back, but they've lost so many players. And yes, there were a couple of players and games where you're looking at that defense like WTF. Yes, I'm talking about the Miami game. But overall, this defense has performed well. They We knew they were going to take a step back, but they've still been playing well. The 123 total passing yards. One touchdown allowed against the Saints. The Saints were just two for 12 on third downs. Michael Thomas had just two catches for 27 yards. And Emmanuel Sanders had one catch for five yards in 34 snaps. This was the team that just dunked all over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a much better defense. They have one of the best defenses in the league this year. And, and this defense was able to do something to Drew Brees and the saints. Uh, and part of it was because saints was out. Yes, but he came in and played the first half and the saints couldn't do much in that first half either. So overall it was a defense that played well enough. It's just, man, the offense keeps failing it. Yeah. I, I think well enough, like that's exactly the kit. Like, and I think considering all of the injuries, you know, that we know that they've suffered on that side, like, yeah, they, I think they really have outperformed expectations in, in a lot of ways, right? Like I, I think, yes, there have definitely been um, some bad games and bad moments and, and all of those things in there that you expect when you're kind of down um, that far down the depth chart at certain positions, right? At times. So I, I think like, overall though when you look at it in this game being such a great example of it like um yeah they they they, i mean the saints offense had a negative epa per play like more importantly a negative epa per pass attempt which is just like i mean kind of wild like that's not something that you're expecting going into it you know from that offense even if breeze isn't 100 like them having you know some of the weapons that they do and, and just kind of how their offense typically works um, you know, it's it, so much of it is just getting the ball out quickly underneath and letting these guys do work after the catch and, you know, not on, you know, they go about it a different way, but I, I think it, the, the end result is similar to what the 49ers do offensively, right. Which is trying to get the ball quickly to their playmakers and let them do the work, um, to kind of pick up the, the bigger plays and explosive plays. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, breeze did like also look off, like, I think it was kind of. He looked like he had too. cracked ribs. Yeah, like my my guy, like the I think the first third down of the game, um, that the the one drive that they had in the first quarter on that third down, he has Michael Thomas open on a slant in the slot, um, from a clean pocket and just misses it, like just and he, really not even that close, and and like looks awkward doing it. So like that, you know, I remember watching that, um, as it was going through the, the, the coach save afterwards and it was just like, Oh, that looks weird. Right. Like that doesn't look like drew Brees, And so, you know, there were moments like that. And I mean, obviously you've got snaps wasted with fucking Taysom Hill at quarterback that, that are in there and, and stuff like that. So they, they had some things sure that, that helped them out. But overall, if you were going to tell me coming into this game, that they were going to hold them to 123 passing yards and go two for 12 on third down. I've been like, you're fucking out of your mind. Well, I would have said the Niners win is what yeah. I would have said. I mean, if you sure. tell me that yeah. that's that that's the performance of the Niners win. I think Jimmy Ward had one of his best games of the year, his dropped interception, notwithstanding. Uh, I was really proud of the fact that I was like, basically Jameis Winston's in 
the Niners' chance of an interception just goes up like forty-eight to forty, or like forty-eight thousand percent, or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> and and sure enough, like four plays later, he throws it right to Jimmy Ward, and Jimmy Ward drops it. It's like I, clockwork. I will say on that play, it's kind of funny. Um, Jimmy Ward actually, by being out of position, is in <laughs> position to make that play. So like, what was happening? You see him like right before the snap. So they're actually in man coverage, like they're in cover one there. And, um, but what they decide to do, they get motion right before the snap. And so Ward's guy is the one that motions. And rather than going with them, sometimes, you know, they'll just have the safety go down and meet basically the motion guy on the other side. And then that defender will take over the deep safety role. That was what Ward was supposed to do. And he calls out for the motion to pick up, but he never really gets deep. Like he kind of like freezes right after the snap. And so that's what puts him in that, um, like more intermediate area right in that throwing lane. So I thought that was, was kind of funny. It would have been nice to see him, you know, actually seal the deal. And that would have been maybe another play, you know, another high leverage play there where, where you can kind of swing things a little bit, but yeah, it, it just, um, you know, ultimately not enough support from the offense. Yeah. I think J- Javon Kinlaw had one of his better games. He had three pressures overall. Uh, I would call this a building block pass rushing performance. I think as a game overall, probably not one of Javon Kinlaw's best games. I still think his best game, Overall was week one against the Cardinals, but he this was a step forward in his progression, specifically as a pass rusher, which is good to see. His sack wasn't an incredibly skillful one. It was an athletic one because he basically gets pulled down and the 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 hit the him getting pulled down is what whips him around the corner yeah. <laughs> to get to get in a position to make the sack. But it does take a certain degree of athleticism to not fall down over your feet yep. and you know basically face plant. And he stayed up. He gets the sack. And overall, I think it shows off that he's a really athletic dude, despite the fact that he's got a huge trunk. Um, You know, I think five of the six dropbacks for the Niners generated pressure were against famous Jameis. This is in large part because he's going to hold the ball longer than Drew Brees. Drew Brees gets the ball out in like negative six seconds. Basically, (laughs) you you snap the ball and he's already thrown the ball six times. Jameis is going to hold on to it a little bit longer, but you still have some. I mean, Kerry Hyder got some pressures. Uh, Contavious Street got his fr- the first sack of his career robbed from him on another bullshit penalty. Um, that was against Drew Brees. I think it was overall a good game from the defensive line. And we even saw a, a change at safety and linebacker with Tarveris Moore playing strong safety uh, alongside Jimmy Ward and Marcel Harris, who's playing Sam linebacker, which further goes to show that the Sam linebacker spot doesn't matter. <laughs> God, it re- it really fucking doesn't. Yeah, I can just throw a safety in there. Doesn't matter. <laughs> just throw him in there. It's fine. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I think like, look, we we wanted to see Tarvarius Moore get an opportunity, right? And I think if if you feel like you still need to get Marcel Harris on the field, then sure, have at. I I, I think like you know it wasn't um, necessarily the 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 greatest performance from Tarvarius Moore in his first like you know significant action this season, but. Uh, I, I think, you know, you need to give, if you want to see what you have in him, right. You want to see if he's going to be a player that you can potentially rely on in the long term and can maybe take over as a, as, as a starter. Um, you need to see him in action. You need to give him a chance to kind of learn through some of these mistakes. Cause he definitely had some in this game, right? Um, we have a, a Patreon video that's going to go up. That's going to go through, um, I think some key plays from his game, but he definitely had, um, some moments where it didn't look like he was, you know, reading things properly or he was kind of out of place a little bit. 
you need to see if he can learn from some of those mistakes and and kind of work through some of that stuff and become a solid player for you or if he's just going to be you know another Marcel Harris and be kind of shitty yeah, uh, and and I think he showed some speed to the football. He had a good tackle on a uh, on like kind of like a I forget if it was a jet sweep or it was kind of a reverse where he ends up you know kind of getting in there as a free rusher and ends up making the tackle. And he had the force fumble, obviously. So there was definitely some up and down plays for Tavares Moore. But this is a player I want to see play some more. So I'm glad that he got some snaps. But overall, I think the defense played you know well enough to win. It just was it wasn't a game that the Niners could pull out at the end of the day. So let, let's get to a little bit uh, of what comes next. We're going to talk about some quick hits. We're going to talk about what comes next because it's the bye week. Time to stop, think, reflect, think a bit about what's coming up the rest of the season and 2021. But first, a word from our sponsors. This week's pod is brought to you by Indeed. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Thanks, sweet baby Jeebus. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Maybe we need to use Indeed. Did an interview this week and uh, it's, uh, it's not great. Guy, like we spent the whole first 10 minutes just with the guy going like, Kent, here, I, I'm like, man, dude, find, find some Wi-Fi. Find 2020, man, that's the world some we Wi-Fi. Live in now. And he's like, we were using Hangouts and he's like, I can't use Hangouts. I'm used to Zoom. And I'm like, maybe if we would have used Indeed, could have found someone who knew how to use the Hangouts. There you go. Maybe. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Already read that. Let's go to the next one. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Only valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Podcast is also brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back in swing for most teams. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, David, it is the quick hits since week eight. Brandon Ayuk's numbers against single coverage, 12 targets, 10 catches, 125 yards, and two touchdowns. And of those 12 targets... Ayuk created a step or more of separation on 10 of them. His grade ranks third in the NFL amongst rookies. 
Beast man. He, I mean, he had a nice play in single coverage against uh, Marshawn Lattimore. Had a nice little slant. Lattimore's trying to get hands on him. You know, gets that step of separation there, and and Mullins actually manages to hit him in the chest <laughs> with with a throw and not you know fucking put it in the dirt. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been maybe the only fun th- one of the only fun things to watch you know uh with with this team recently it feels like and uh, michael hasty's body's not even cold jesus when was he fun sorry i <laughs> my bad um yeah i i, I think like i it's just fun to watch him kind of you know uh continue to develop and, and continue to just get better every week and especially since now with, with him being such a huge part of the offense with kittle out and debo out like he's really getting an opportunity to kind of take on a heavier load than he probably would have you know if everyone was healthy offensively and and so i think that really is a, a kind of good developmental opportunity for him and so far he's, he's stepping up to the challenge if you're a quarterback or a receiver and you get hit anywhere above maybe the numbers, stay down for an extra beat. <laughs> you might get a flag, and you can also get a quick rest. Because referees in the NFL definitely throw flags based on the outcome of a play, not necessarily what they see. It happens every week. Someone throws their arms up near the edge. All It's holding. A wide receiver stays down for an extra beat. Must have got hit in the head. A quarterback <laughs> named Drew Brees ends up falling down and staying for an extra beat, even though Contavia Street fell off to the side in a textbook tackle, and you throw the flag. Maybe you shouldn't have come into the game with broken ribs, Drew Brees. Maybe. Jordan Willis. Not bad. Not bad. He had two wins and eight pass rushing snaps against New Orleans. That's 30 pass rush snaps on the season, and he's already showing some promise. His win rate on the season so far, limited snaps, I know, 30 pass rush snaps on the year, but his pass rush win rate is 16.7%, which for effectively a throwaway six-round pick is pretty good. And we were looking at his his stats and we were looking at, the, at them compared to Ezekiel Ansah because, you know, we like to self-flagellate, I guess. <laughs> and, and Ezekiel Ansah has 23 pass rush snaps on the season. One pressure. It was unblocked, <laughs> which is just is just perfect. I mean, you couldn't ask for really a better line considering, uh, you know, how things went with him. But yeah, I mean, I think not bad, right, is is kind of the way to do it. I, we, have, we haven't seen like really any, um, you know, kind of like more dominant, decisive wins from him or anything like that. I think a lot of the, the pressures that he's getting right now um are you know he's he's working for him right like i think it's it's the type of stuff like he had one in this game where it's he's driving the tackle back on a bull rush and it's like a little bit slow but he gets there eventually forces Jameis off the spot a little bit so it's things like that uh you know i think that we're seeing from him so far um and so yeah i mean if he can start to kind of mix in every once in a while getting some of those cleaner more decisive wins where he actually has an opportunity to close on the quarterback, I think. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's going to be, could be potentially huge for them as a pass rusher. Um, and again, they gave up, what, nothing to to get him. So I yeah. think ap- they needed bodies there and, and you're hoping anything you can get is a positive. And so far, they're getting at least something from him. A lot less than the 1.4 million that they gave uh, one Mr. Ezekiel Ansa. But he, I'm excited actually about next year. If he can drop some more weight and he gets back to the level of speed and athleticism that he was coming out for the draft when he was one of the better athletes for his position, I think that could be really special because the Niners are going to need some speed off the edge and not continue to throw three techniques uh, at defensive end all over the place. But also, speaking of pass rushes, Niners 
are likely going to put in a claim on Tack McKinley. They tried once. Tack McKinley failed physical against the Bengals. Apparently, the Bengals have very stringent physicals or something. Uh, maybe they require ligaments. But you know who doesn't require ligaments is the 49ers. <laughs> and so they're probably going to put in another claim on Tack McKinley. And now that he has failed a physical, he is even more of a fit with the 49ers. Uh, even if he doesn't uh, pan out to much of anything, the fact that he could sign a modest deal anywhere next season means the Niners are in line for a comp pick. He doesn't even need to sign a big money deal. He can, I think the average annual value for the players that we're getting like sixth and seventh round picks is somewhere like, you know, two or $3 million. So it doesn't need to be a big money deal for the Niners to get a comp pick out of Tack McKinley. I look forward to uh, dissecting his 20 snaps before he ends up on IR. <laughs> Punt returners. Bad. Trent Taylor. Not screaming and get everyone away, resulting in a punt. Richie James then muffs a punt of his own. Those were two very, very big turning points in the game. All those stolen possessions, all those things that we th- that we said the underdog needed were handed away by Trent Taylor and Richie James. It's unfortunate. Maybe instead of spending a fourth rounder on a punter, we needed to spend it on a punt returner. Yeah, it's a couple letters difference. Maybe you just read it off the call sheet wrong. Yeah, that that had to be it for sure. Um, I mean, fucking special teams. That's really all it is. Like, <laughs> it's just terrible, and they only fucking ruin things. Steve Young sees no flaws in Zach Wilson. Wow, wow, no flaws, huh? Zero, zero. I mean, Steve Young look, not one for hyperbole either. So. There is no bias in the fact that Zach Wilson is a BYU quarterback. <laughs> None whatsoever. Uh, you know, this, the, he is completely objective and he's never wrong, Steve Young. It is, it is part of being a Mormon. You can never be wrong. And Steve Young, being a lawyer and a Mormon, means he can never be wrong on two accounts. Super never wrong. And thus, uh, you know, Zach Wilson in the red and gold. We'll see it soon. Jeff Garcia, on the other hand, uh, had the uh, kind of uh, a hot take that was bad for different reasons. Doesn't think Trent Williams is worth it. He was on Mayoko's pod today, and and Jeff Garcia is an interesting guy. He you know he gets very I feel like into his uh, I don't know soapboxes and grandstands and whatnot. And he just he was like Trent Williams. I don't see it. Uh, he's not playing as well. They told me he was one of the best tackles in the league, and I don't see it. And I'm like. Uh, that's 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 a real bad take because Trent Williams has been playing some good football. <laughs> like, here's the thing: like, why the fuck are people giving Jeff Garcia a platform still? Like, <laughs> what is is Jeff Garcia, you know, giving Matt Mayoko here to get on that podcast? You know, like, like what is in it for for fucking Matt? Like, Jeff Garcia just does it says stupid shit all the time. Like he, he like it's never any good. And like what the last time we talked about him is like him complaining about not getting a fucking job. It's like, dude. Yeah. That's the part that really set me over the edge with him is he was like lobbying for a job and he was like, I coach quarterbacks. I'm like, okay. Yeah, sure. You can fuck out of here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nuts. I think, you know, it's one of those things where he, I think he actually works for NBC sports Bay area. He's, you know, and he's got the, the, he played quarterback for the Niners for a long time. I mean, at this point, depending on how things end up with Jimmy Garoppolo, it could Jeff Garcia could be like the last truly good quarterback the Niners have had since yes Jeff Garcia. So I I can see why people give him a platform, but that doesn't mean that his platform is used for good. It says stupid shit constantly. Anyway, <laughs> last point in the quick hits: the Niners are interested in DeAndre Baker, who turns out didn't rob people. 
So he, does it turn out? Wow, I, I, I did not I, hear this. Yeah, so he apparently all charges against him were dropped, and I didn't. I, the, the article didn't get into a ton of specifics, but it looked like the the lawyer that was representing the people that were allegedly robbed by DeAndre that by DeAndre Baker was also arrested for trying to extort Baker to recant the testimony. So if I'm able to put two and two together, people falsely accused Baker so that he could pay them to drop the charges. They were trying to extort like a million and a half dollars from him. So all I know, though, is that there are several teams interested in DeAndre Baker, a player that we really liked coming into the 2019 draft. Uh, we, I went back and looked at our notes. We had him as a smart physical corner that was very good at squeezing wide receivers off the field on deep routes, something the Niners corners are asked to do often. Only problem is he was terrible last year for the Giants. He was targeted 79 times and allowed a passer rating of 130.1. Not ideal. I mean, he was uh he was fucking brutal early in the season last year, especially. Like the first I mean, I don't know, probably like half and some change of that season like just was really awful. He was uh, a bit better down the stretch. Like you look at, I think his last like five, six games or so in there, like there were definitely um, some improvements and I think he had a couple of, of really solid games in there. So yeah, I, I think like um, not a great first look at him as an NFL player. And then obviously all the other things um, that are involved there. But I, I mean, I don't hate it, especially like, I, I feel like at this point, right? Like you're not going to have to, to really give up much in the way of resources to, to get him right. He's going to be a cheap player. And so uh, I think a talented, like first round player like that, that had some promise and um, did kind of look like maybe he was starting to put things together. The more he got experience, like, yeah, why not? Like you, you can't take enough chances on corners and coverage players. Like this is why, you know, you sign guys like Jason Barrett. Like, yeah, you maybe don't get anything out of him because the dude can't stay on the field, but if he does and he can be solid, like that's such a huge win for your defense. And, uh, you know, they is, I'll never be against them continuing to add like cheap, readily available, potentially talented cornerbacks. Like just take all of the chances on them. Let's let's talk a bit more about the corners because the the, the last segment in today's show is going to be really about questions that the Niners are going to need to answer for 2021. The, there's a couple of things they're going to have to look at over the end of the year that are really going to help help them solve what they're going to need to do for next season's you know personnel choices. They've got a lot of people that are free agents. They're going to be able to bring some back. They're not going to be able to bring a lot back. And these decisions that they're going to be making at the end of the year are largely going to be informed by the back half of the season. It's not even half at this point. It's like by the back stretch of this season. And, and there's three questions, two of which we're going to get to today, one of which we're going to get to during the bye week episode. But the first question is about the secondary. And it really is, who is it that you're going to retain in the secondary? It, it seems like the Niners are going to have to pick two out of Tart, Sherman, Verrett, and K1 Williams. And you've got Sherman, who may have a chronic calf injury. You've got Verrett, who's playing the best football he's played in a long time, in large part because he's actually on the field to play football. <laughs> You've got Kwan Williams, who seems to be injured and is out for the rest of the season, but who's been very, very good, but is aging out and may be priced out of the Niners' uh, really salary cap room. And you've got Jaquaski Tart, 
who at this point is the other injured safety in San Francisco. So if you had to pick of those players, which ones do you bring back? Which ones do you jettison? And which ones do you just say like, you know what? Like, I would love to bring you back if you can sign cheaply. But if not, then, you know, let's try to get you. Let's try to get that comp pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I think K1, right, uh, being in, in kind of the latter camp there is is the one that I think is the clear, most reliable player on that list, right? Like, I mean, obviously being injured now, but like that hasn't really been, um, you know, a huge issue for him during the rest of his time with San Francisco. And, and so, and I think he's done such a good, like he really is for what the 49ers do and the type of coverages they run. And, and a lot of that being zone heavy stuff, like um, is I think a very, very good slot cornerback for that system. And, and so I think his value with them and, you know, teams that run similar type of stuff is going to be, uh, you know, a little bit higher. He's not going to be for everyone, right? Like he's not going to go to a team that I think um, is maybe higher man coverage team, right? I don't think that's really his game quite as much, but he is very good in that role. And so he would be the one, um, you know, assuming you don't get priced out and, and can afford to bring him back would be the priority to me. Um, beyond that, like, it is really tough. Like, I, I think like, you know, is, are, are people going to be ready to take a chance on Verrett and like, is he done enough to play himself into a higher money deal? Like if so, I don't think he's been that good. Like I'm not, I, I'm bringing him back if he, it's cheap again. Right. Like, and even if it's short term, even if he wants to have another opportunity to be like, okay, I'm only going to come back for one year and then you see it for another season, then okay, maybe you see something. But, um, yeah, I, I think Tart, I mean, God, Tart, would be the guy if it weren't for the injuries. The injuries are just such a fucking pain in the ass with him. Yeah, I think for me, when you really think about K1 Williams as a corner, he may be the best early signing for the 49ers full stop. He was signed in 2017. Yeah. He was yeah. one of the players they brought in right away at the beginning of this regime. He was an under-the-radar guy, and and now he, he might be the, the player that's provided the, some of the most value for the Niners over the course of his career. His base salary has never gone beyond $2.1 million. That's what his contract is right now, $2.1 million. And he is, at times, one of the best slot corners in the NFL. I think you could easily say that he's a top 10, maybe top five slot corner, and he's, he's making $2 million a year. That's why I think that he, or his cap number, I think this year is $3.1 million when you include bonuses and all this other crap. So I think that he's the guy that may be priced out what what may keep him in San Francisco for another couple of years is the fact that he's 29 and he's approaching that 30 or that age 30 season. But there have been lots of players that have played well into like their 32, 33, 34 age season. I don't know that 30 at his position is necessarily the death knell that it was a couple of years ago. So I, I agree with you. I think he's probably the guy I'd want to bring back. I just don't know the Niners are going to be able to because I, I see someone else with a lot of cap, you know, throwing some money at him and, and then not being able to bring him back. Um, and I think Tart to me too, I think Verrett, I bring back because he's going to be cheaper than Sherm. Tart's going to be what happens with Tarveris more over the course of the year. That's why I'm glad. That's why I wanted to do the spotlight on him this week, take a look at his performance and see how he does. Because if the Niners can basically go with Ward and more, then Tart is a bit more expendable and he can kind of move on and, and go somewhere else. So I also think that at strong safety, that position is a bit more readily available 
than other positions. And for whatever reason, the safety market's weird. And like Trey Boston's basically been on one-year deals for like four years. Uh, and, and he's one of the better safeties in, in the NFL. So it just, it, it feels like there are players there to be had. So I'm not necessarily like, like lusting after keeping tart. I think for me, those players are more like Verrett and K1 are the players I want to keep or Sherm, depending on how he's able to negotiate his deal. Yeah, I, I think it, um, you know, a lot of it depends on what happens with Sala. Like, does Sala get a head coaching gig, right? Are they changing defensive schemes? Like, I think all of that's going to factor into these decisions, of course, as well. But I, I think if if Sala were to stay or they continue trending the direction that they're going now, which is kind of less of the single high stuff, less of just the the cover three every single down, right? More of this two high quarters, a lot of cover six, you know, a lot of cover six in this last game. Um, that, I think, is a role that, like, they, they need these kind of more interchangeable safeties, right? Like, and I think Tart does a pretty good job in both rows, roles. Like, he's not, like, more where he's just, um, you know, more just being kind of so undersized when you put him down in the box that he can get... I don't know, say put on his back by a quarterback um, in, in the run game. Um, and, and True so you're story. Not, you're not going to see that those type of things happen with him. Um, but he is, you know, we've seen him make great plays in kind of that deep free safety role as well, right? You think of like that um, insane one-handed interception that he had against the Panthers, you know, what was it, a couple years ago or whatever. Like, obviously that was those, a long time ago at this point. That was, I think, 2018. Yeah, I mean, like, look, the injuries uh, are, are definitely part of it, um, but I think the 49ers have also shown that they don't fucking care about, uh, like... They like why them. else they are you bringing them. yeah like uh you know otherwise you're you know you wouldn't be bringing guys like jimmy ward back um or even shit eric armstead right you wouldn't be really giving him another long-term deal because he had one fully healthy season prior to that extension so like yeah i don't think that they really care i think he fits the safety position that they seem to want to have right now but yeah, it depends on who's available and and what where things go um, with the coaching staff and in that scheme going forward. Yeah, and I do think because of the the nature of the safety market, he might be one of the cheaper options outside of Verrett because I do think Verrett's probably going to be a little on on the lower end. But um, now the offensive line, notwithstanding Jeff Garcia's take on Trent Williams, you do have a decision to make with Trent Williams because he is a free agent at the end of the year. You've got your center who at this point is unknown. It could be, you know, it could be the savior that we thought we had, didn't know we had, Dan Brunskill. Thought he was going to be the savior at right guard. Turns out he's the savior at center. Uh, <laughs> he, he could be there. Ben Garland could be there. I don't know that Weston Richburg, I'd be surprised if he were, you know, I mean, he could be back for next year. Who the hell knows? But you've also got right guard. So right guard is where you've got Colton McKivitz and Tom Compton kind of rotating back and forth and McKibbitts did not have a good rep in a key situation on fourth down, but it seems like they're playing Compton for a couple series and then McKibbitts for a series. What do you do there? I, I mean, I don't know, man. It's tough. I, I think like the, the, the tough one is really Williams, right? Cause like, obviously you would like to have Trent Williams back and, um, and, and it would be very weird to have that sort of trade and then to just let him go after one year um, but I don't know, like the, the only thing that I can think that they might be able to like, hopefully keep him is that one, he's getting a little bit older, right? He's going to be, I think, I think this is age 33 season. I want to say right in, right in there, 32, 33. Um, 
and and so you know he's had obviously injury concerns things like that and then him being um you know very familiar with the system and you know i think he has a good relationship with shanahan and like so maybe there's something there that like both parties kind of want to make it work and he just wants to kind of ride out the rest of his career in san francisco or something like that right um would would certainly be ideal for them but that's that's the position that you need to figure out right even um it whether it's the left tackle or the right tackle like even if you're going to let him go and you're going to talk about moving McGlinchey over to the left side you still you need a tackle right like the filling that other tackle position is going to be the the number one priority as far as offensive linemen go and we know that that's how Shanahan's going to value them as well like he he just really wants to have good tackles he values them highly like we've seen the resources that the team has spent in order to get good tackles like that's going to be something that they really I think try to go out of their way to make sure that they have I think it's center and you know the interior positions um with the caps situation being what it is I I mean they're just going to have to figure out a way to make it work with draft picks the guys that are here cheap free agents like they're going to have to kind of piecemeal that together yeah, I'd be interested to see what they do with Brunskill, Garland, and Richburg. Because I, I do think that you've got Garland and Rich uh, Garland and Brunskill who can fill in at the center position at a at a play level that is commensurate with where Richburg was. I think the the thing that we missed about Richburg, especially early in the year, was communication. And now that you had Ben Garland back and now Brunskill, they've shown that those communication issues are are largely resolved. But you've got Weston Richburg's contract, who is going to be, uh, you know, a net dead money of about two million if he gets cut in 2021. But then that gives you more money in 2022 to do some more things, like I don't know, sign Trent Williams. So <laughs> I, I would definitely see Richburg as a player that may have, uh, that may end up being a cap casualty, considering his injury history, considering that he didn't play up to the contract that he signed. I think that Garland played as well as. Richburg and in a couple different areas um, and Brunskill seems to be doing okay as well so I think you can roll in with them too as the the starter and the backup into 2021 save some money with Richburg it sucks because it, it does hurt a bit more next year but I could see Rich I could see Richburg not being on the team next year I can see D Ford not being on the team next year and and that may free up some some money to go do some other things like sign Trent Williams, who I think is going to be a priority or sign some of those defensive backs when really you've just got Emmanuel Mosley, who's a restricted free agent. So he's going to be back, but that's about it. Yeah. I, I, so I, I mean, I think that like to, is like one kind of final question that we don't necessarily need to spend a ton of time on. Cause it's going to be, you know, obviously something we get to throughout the off season and, and there's gonna be a lot of time to like kind of dive into it. But to me, like all of these things kind of build up to with, with the the cap space being what it is like, are they going to choose to try and do everything they can to keep this unit intact again? Right. Because that was clearly the strategy this past offseason. It was let's run it back with the exact same group as close as we can um, to the Super Bowl team and, and hope that everything kind of falls into place again for it. Um, now they're at a spot where going into next offseason, the cap space isn't there. They have a number, just like a huge number of these players who are going to be free agents and guys that were signed as, you know, some of those early signings that have kind of been around with this Shanahan team so far. And so I think what are they going to choose to try and, you know, 
do all of the cap wizardry that they can possibly think of and, you know, maybe cut some of these pieces that haven't panned out and really try to keep the core of this team intact? Or are they going to say, like, look, Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't really been what we hoped he would be. Like, we don't know, you know, all of these other plays, we, we know we're not going to be able to bring them back. Like, they look for some sort of, like, kind of mini rebuild on the fly and 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 just, like, say, okay, we got to cut ties with some of these guys. We can't afford to spend $6 million to keep Kyle Juszczyk around. You know, like, things like that. Like, those are the type of decisions that I'm going to be really looking for this offseason and what they choose to do with this roster construction. There's one more question, which we're going to get to in next week's episode, which is what to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. Matt Mayoko had a soundbite this week that said that he doesn't see Jimmy Garoppolo with the team next year. And I, I mean, I, I, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting thing to put out into the universe. But yeah. I think it's a question that merits a lot of time and a really good discussion and the kind of evidence-based stuff that we love to bring to you. So I think we're going to do that next week when we have a bit more time. Breaking news, DeAndre Baker is expected to sign with the Chiefs practice squad because the rich fucking get richer. Jesus. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, so apparently he's going to learn the playbook and kind of get up to speed and then get promoted. But yeah, that whole uh, two or three there minutes is. spent on DeAndre Baker. Well, at least, that was, uh, at least we caught that while we're still recording, right? And it wasn't just uh, immediately irrelevant content though i guess yeah kind of this is uh you know the, the rich do get richer you know when you're good people want to go to you uh and the niners yep. just have to get back there soon hopefully very very <laughs> soon but we've got one week where we can enjoy football and so we will enjoy that bye week yep. we'll come back with another episode next week that will be some more big picture stuff make sure to get to our patreon and take a look at some of the plays that we talked about uh with tarveris more including the play where he gets bodied by a quarterback uh, and and yeah, make sure to hit the subscribe button on all of your podcast and Patreon platforms. Thanks again for tuning in. You can always follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That will be at PFF underscore David. We have to change it so you just pump the Patreon at this point. I thought you had made a pivot. I was going to, but then, you know, I don't know. I felt like maybe it was getting old. I was just going to roll with it this time. But yeah. Oh, as old as our freaking Twitter handles? I mean, fair. <laughs> I, I, I've got nothing for you. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>